I've been looking forward to coming in and sharing with you today. About, oh, just over 20 years ago, my wife and Chris and I had an opportunity to uh, travel with some good friends of ours, and we were kind of celebrating our 25th anniversary back then, and we uh, <clears throat> had an opportunity to go to Hawaii. How many of you have been to Hawaii at some point? And we were excited. We had uh, 15 days. We went to the island of Oahu, and then we had a couple of days on the big island and got to take a helicopter over the volcano, that kind of stuff. And then we ended up in Maui, which became our favorite place on this planet. And uh, we absolutely had a, a great time there. And part of it, I think, was because in advance, I had had a friend who said, if you're going to Maui, you need to read this book. And he had me a book called Maui Revealed. Anyone here ever see that? If you haven't and you're going to Maui, read it first. And in that book, the person who was the author had taken about three years traveling to every hotel, every restaurant, every place that you could possibly go on the island of, of Maui to then <clears throat> uh, write a description about it and give you all kinds of insights. He even uh, had all types of little uh, details that really helped with like taking the road to Hana. If you've ever been on the road to Hana, there's like 387 turns and uh, it goes 56 miles and it takes eight hours. And it's, it's, it's an incredible journey because uh, you have to stop for waterfalls and little churches on the beach and all types of incredible hiking trails. And it was great. And I, my first thought was, how do you get that job to write that book? Uh, but there's amazing insights that he had for us. And we found that it was really, really accurate. Everything they said was spot on. The other day I was imagining, what if that book had been written by someone who had never been there? What would they say? Maybe they would say something like, you can take any airline. All airlines lead to Maui. When you get to Maui, they will put a lay around your neck, give you a ukulele, assign you to a beach, and you will go and sit and watch the ocean all day. If you're hungry, they'll give you a plate with rice and spam. and it'll be the most boring thing you'll ever do. And, you know, I look at that and I go, that's silly, that's kind of stupid. But that's kind of what a lot of people have done on the subject of heaven. They've said all kinds of weird things about heaven. People who have never been there, obviously, and uh, they write all types of things, like when you get to heaven you will turn into a translucent ghost-like character with wings, and you'll be given a halo, you'll be issued a harp and assigned to a cloud. And you'll sit there forever. I, 
I often wonder why is it that we take more information from cartoons and comics and things about heaven than the real source, which is God's word. I love uh, Gary Larson in his Far Side. Does anyone here ever read that? Yeah. And, and he talks about heaven a couple of times. Uh, there's one time where there's a guy sitting by himself on a cloud, no one else around. And he just simply says, I wish I brought a book. Um, another time, it, there's one, and it's captioned the math phobia nightmare. And there's St. Peter, and there's the city of the New Jerusalem in the background, and a guy's standing there, and they're all floating on the cloud. And, and St. Peter says to him, uh, no one gets in here without answering this question. A train leaving Philadelphia at four o'clock is headed west, and a train leaving Denver at two o'clock. Do you need a piece of paper? Yeah, it's like, yeah. There's this idea that there's something you have to do to get in. There's this idea that when you get there, it's going to be boring. It's, maybe it's just going to be this nonstop, endless worship service where you sing every hymn out of every hymnal ever written. And, and no wonder there are people, when you talk about following God and one day going to heaven, who go, I don't want to go there. That sounds really boring to me. I, I don't want to sit on a cloud. I don't even know how to play a harp. What, why would I want to go there? Most of the people I know are going to the other place. You know, people say things to us and because they have this false understanding of what heaven is like. They've gotten their information from the wrong sources and it's completely off base. I mean, it's been a pretty good plan that Satan had to make us think that heaven is not a place we want to go, that it would be undesirable. And it's worked for a lot of people. But the truth of the matter is that if we listen to the one who's been there, if we look at God's word and see what the Holy Spirit has revealed about what God has in mind for you and me in eternity, we'll be wondering, why am I staying here? I'm ready. I'm, I want to be there. We will be like Paul who said, for me to um, live as Christ and to die is gain. And so today, I want to whet your appetite about heaven. It, it seems like even in the church, we don't talk about heaven very much. And it's always kind of like an afterthought or it's a tack something tacked on at the end of a message, but we don't really spend much time talking about what the scripture says regarding heaven. Now, I don't have time to go through everything, so I just want to hit like three ideas. What does God have to say about eternity and forever? What does God say about what life will be like for you and me? And what does God have to say about the new earth? that he's creating for us. In John 3.13, John writes this, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. 
That's Jesus. In his gospel, Jesus is writing this. John writes this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be worried about this. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. I think the King James says there's many mansions. I think rooms is probably a better uh, um, translation, but it just means, hey, there's lots of space. You don't have to worry about that. I've prepared this place. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? No, I wouldn't have. If I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. In Ecclesiastes 3, at the end of the verse 11, says, he has also set eternity in the human heart. God made us in such a way that we desire to live and to live forever. Anybody here wanna live forever? I mean, if, if life were the way that we're gonna read about, you would want to, yes. I, I, I don't know that I would want to live in this life forever. You know, after four or 500 years, I don't know how active I would be. Um, you know, I, some of those things, some of the things in this life make life hard, but God has said some amazing things about forever. In 1 Thessalonians, he writes, um, after that, we who are still alive and left, and he had just been talking, Paul had been talking to them about the, the rapture. He said, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. John says, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So I ask, what is forever? Maybe you've done this. Maybe you've sat at a traffic light and thought, this is taking forever. Anyone ever say that, think that? Yeah, it's like, it wasn't though, it was a minute and a half. Okay, uh, and, and we, we say things are forever. Like I was at the doctor's office and it took forever for them to come and to see me. I just sat there for what seemed like an eternity and it was, you know, 28 minutes. Okay, but it was, we, we say things are forever, but we don't really have a good concept of forever. And so I was just thinking back, when I was a youth pastor, I used to give this illustration about forever. Imagine that this, the depth of this piece of paper was 100 years. And everything in your life is contained in that 100-year period. Now, I realize there's a couple people in Harrisburg that may need two pieces of paper. But, but everything in most people's lives is contained in this 100-year period. If we were to 
expand that to say like the size of a ream, make it 500 sheets of paper, that would be 50,000 years. That's a really long time. It's 50 times longer than the oldest recorded person, Methuselah, who was 969, right? 50 times greater. But that's not forever. What if I took six reams of paper, which would be about a foot, and in my timeline I said, okay, this represents a long period of time. It would represent 300,000 years. That's a really long time, but it's not forever. If we were to travel about a mile away, 5,280 feet, on my little timeline, that would be 1,584,000,000 years. That would be a long time, but it's not forever. If we were to jump in the car and drive from Harrisburg to Ontario, Oregon, you know where that is, over on the, the border by Idaho, about 365 miles. If we were to multiply that out by our pieces of paper, it'd be 609,840,000,000 years. That would seem like a really long time, but it's not forever. If we extended the line through Idaho and then through northern Wyoming and on through South Dakota and then Minnesota and then into Wisconsin and Michigan and the, the southern part of Canada and kept going to where we went through Maine and then hit the Atlantic Ocean. And then we kept going across the Atlantic till we hit France. And then we hit the northern part of Italy. And then we hit Serbia and Croatia in the bottom of Romania, and then we hit bottom part of, of Russia and then went into Kazakhstan and then later through Mongolia and part of China and then the lower part of Russia again. And then we hit the Sea of Japan. Then we hit the Pacific Ocean. We go all the way around the globe on the 45th parallel, all the way to the Oregon coast. And then we pop back over here. That would be roughly 17,368 miles. And that would be the equivalent to 27,938,592,000,000 years. And we'd just be getting started. Forever is a really long time. I was talking to my five-year-old grandson, Will, yesterday. We, I don't know what we were talking about, but he came up with some number that he was making up. You know how five-year-olds are? A million, billion, thousand, eight hundred, yeah. And I was like, well, that's not a number. I said, come, let's, go, let's look up what the biggest number is. So you know what the largest number that's given a name is? It's a Googleplex. And that's 10 with 100 zeros behind it. That would be a long time if you made that in years, but it's not.
forever. So why do we put all of our focus on this? God has something much grander in mind and he wants us to be ready for eternity. Over and over and over again in the scripture, it says we will be with the Lord forever. Let's not miss it by being too focused on this life. Let's be ready. Let's know what he has to say. So I often wonder, what is life gonna be like? You know, I, I would not want the cartoon version of heaven. I don't wanna be a transparent ghost with wings and a halo. Did you know that nowhere in the scripture does it ever say that you will become an angel? We hear that all the time, though, from people. We say, now that this person's died, they're going to be my guardian angel. It's like, uh, that's not in the Bible anywhere. You don't become an angel. And thank goodness, you won't be issued a harp. And you won't be set on a cloud. You will be much different than that. John says this, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Luke 24. In that passage, we see all of the disciples are gathered in the upper room, the upper room where they took the Lord's Supper, the upper room where Jesus washed their feet. But they're there after Jesus has been crucified and they're afraid. They're thinking that the Roman authorities are gonna hunt them down, are gonna arrest them and crucify them. And so the doors are barred. The windows are closed. They're alone. They're afraid of what's going on. They've heard this rumor from some of the women that they think Jesus is alive, that they were told by an angel that the tomb is empty. And they're like, what, what is going on? We don't understand. And they were scared. And then this happens. While they were still talking, Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And he, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. So Luke gives us some clues like 
Flesh and bone. There's this system of thinking that kind of crept into the church years ago. It's what uh, the author Randy Alcorn calls Christoplatonism. And it's this idea that takes part of Greek philosophy and says everything that's material is evil. And everything that's spiritual is good. And so a person who thinks along that line cannot think of heaven being a physical place. It's just like, no, you gotta be, you can't have a physical body. You can't, it's not an actual place. It's, it's all imaginary. But that's not what the scripture says. Jesus had a physical body. When he rose from the dead, he was different. In fact, I've often wondered how come some of the people who met him didn't recognize him immediately. I have a theory on that. I think it's probably because he looked younger. He was 33 when he was crucified. But I think his resurrected body maybe looked more like early 20s maybe. And so they're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't recognize you at first. But then when they heard him talk, even Mary, when she met Jesus in the garden, she thought he was a gardener. I don't know if she looked directly at him, but then when he said, Mary, she recognized his voice. In heaven, your voice will be the same. We'll recognize each other's voices. I, my mother passed away 32 years ago. But in my mind, I can still hear her voice and how she said my name. You maybe have people that you know who have gone on, but you can still hear them. Jesus appeared before his disciples. He ate food, which I'm like, yeah. Uh, in heaven, we'll, we'll eat food. We'll have a physical body. We'll be recognized. We'll still be us. And our friends and family will still be them. That's amazing. Heaven is not a mystical, eerie experience. It will be physical. In fact, in just a moment, we'll see that God says, I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. The word new is a Greek word that's kainos, which means restored, actually restored to better than new. It's like, I remember when I first went to Canby, the pastor at the church there was a guy named Jay Hoffman. Um, he showed me a, a trailer near his house with a bunch of old broken up car pieces. And he goes, I'm gonna restore this. This is a Duesenberg. I'm like, looks like a pile of junk. A year and a half later, 
amazing car. Amazing the way it was restored. God is going to take this earth that has been corrupted because of sin and pollution and problems, and it has been under the curse, and he's going to restore it to better than it was when he created it for Adam and Eve to live in. Second Corinthians 5 says, therefore, we are always competent, and we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and I would prefer to be away from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And then in Philippians, Paul says, for, me to, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What God has in mind is better than what we experience even now. In 2 Peter 3.13, Peter writes this, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Currently, we have heaven and, and this is where it gets kind of strange. I, I don't claim to know everything about how things are. I mean, the scripture seems to indicate that there's a place like Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so there's this idea that there's a place called paradise, and I don't know exactly what that's like. And then there's a place called Hades, because Jesus talked about Lazarus and the rich man uh, in, in one of his parables. And, and so there's this idea, and that there's currently what we would call an immediate heaven or a present heaven. And God says, I'm going to remake heaven and remake a new earth. In Isaiah, God speaks to the prophet in chapter 65 of Isaiah. He says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever. There's that word again. And in what I create, and I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people to be a joy. In chapter 66, he says, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and your descendants. So today... I'm, you know, there's, there's probably been a lot of messages about the rapture, about tribulation, about the millennium. We, we've all heard things about that and how all of that works out. I mean, there's, there's the premillennial position, the amillennial position, the postmillennial, you know, is there a pre-trib rapture, all that stuff. And, and I just kind of come down on I'm pro-millennial. Whatever God does, I'm for it. And, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll endure whatever he has in mind. I know it's gonna be good. And so I, I don't claim to be an authority on all those areas. But what we're looking at here is something that comes after, after the millennium, after the great judgment. God says, I'm making a new heaven and a new earth. And that is going to be our forever home. And if you want to know what it looks like, go outside. 
it'll be physical. You will have a body. Listen to what John says as he describes this in Revelation 21. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, God, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and they're true. And I look at that passage of scripture and one of the things that really sticks out to me is the old order of things. Ever since the third chapter of Genesis, when sin came into the world and the curse came onto not just mankind, but all of creation, there's been this order. This order that things are born and they grow to maturity and then they start dying and then they die. Ever notice that? I mean, with people, we see that. One time, you were a little baby. And then you started to grow. And you became a child. And then a young adult, a teenager. And then you became a 20 something. And you're going to college, you're maybe getting married. And then somewhere in the late 20s, things started changing and you weren't growing anymore, at least not up. And you, you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, I seem to be getting old. Has anyone noticed that? You, you're getting older. And it's like, man, I don't look like I did when I was 21 anymore. And I can't do some of the things that I used to do. All of that's going away. The old order of things of beginning this process of dying and getting weaker, that all goes away because we will be, as God intended, as a mature person. Imagine yourself if there'd never been any accidents, you were never hurt, you'd never been sick, there were no birth defects, there were nothing wrong had ever happened to you and you were just perfectly the mature person that God intended for you to be. That's what he has in mind for you for eternity. You know, I read books like Johnny Erickson Tata and she's paralyzed from the time she was a teenager and she looks forward to being able to be in heaven in a new body and running and jumping and doing things that she hasn't been able to do for most of her days. Can you imagine the joy that's gonna take place when we encounter people who now are everything that God intended them to be before sin came into the world? 
and that you will live for all eternity. Heaven is not gonna just be, I mean, the scripture talks about the wedding feast of the lamb, that there's gonna be a big celebration, that there will be worship of God, but it's not just gonna be a long, endless worship service forever and ever and ever and ever. We will do things the way God designed us. If you're a person who works with their hands and you build things, you'll get to build things in heaven. Uh, Jesse will get to float the river and fish. Terry's gonna play basketball again. There's gonna be all kinds of things that happen in heaven. All types of activities we will explore. We will just love the environment that God has made perfectly for us. I'm looking forward to that. What an amazing thing. If we can't die, and and it's not gonna be like we just go back to the Garden of Eden and start with no buildings, no planes, cars, automobiles. I mean, it's not like we will forget everything that we've learned in the last few thousand years. We will know these things because as you look, he says, there will be nations. There will be kings. There will be leaders. There will be cities. There will be things in this new earth or on the new earth Maybe we will get to explore the other planets. Maybe we will see the other places in the universe because we have lots of time. It's gonna be amazing. I don't have time to keep talking about it, but listen to this. Paul writes to the Ephesians, now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I can imagine a lot of stuff. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says, right after we will be with the Lord forever, he said, encourage one another with these words. So that's your assignment today. You don't leave this building until you turn to the person next to you and say, we're gonna be with the Lord forever. Go. (laughs) That's cool. That is an amazing thing. And I want you to think about it. And I want you to study. And I hope that you will go, There's stuff I don't know that I want to learn more about. God has amazing things in mind for us. And when we get there, we can talk about it. We go, remember that day? Anyway, um, I I love all of you. And I'm so glad that you know the Lord. We have such an incredible future coming our way. Let's thank God. Father, we... We are amazed at what you say in your word. And as we look at the little hints of how things are gonna be, I'm so looking forward to seeing people that I've loved in this life and knowing that we will never be separated again. 
that we will always be in your presence, that we will not only worship you through music, but we will worship you through the work of our hands. We will worship you wherever we are because you will be with us and you will live with us. Lord, we're excited about what you have in mind. Forever and ever, we get to be with you. Thank you for such an incredible promise. And it's in the name of Jesus, I say, amen.